NFR Extra follows all your favorite cowboys, interviews legends of rodeo, and talks to the best of country music. Follow Nevada Caldwell, Ryland Bentley, and Steve Godert every week as they delve deep into the stories behind the road to gold in Vegas at the National Finals Rodeo. It's revealing, comedic, and sometimes emotional. Find it on Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. NFR Extra. All dirt, all rodeo, all year. is one minute but you help each other uh the competition really isn't between you and the other guy it's between you and the animal and uh you know i was happy to step forward and help louis field even though i knew he was a guy that could beat me from a dream um and that's just what you do in the rodeo business nfr extra episode 85 it's been a fantastic ride for world champion and pro rodeo hall of famer dave appleton the queensland kid who wanted to be a jockey but became a world champion all-around cowboy. Appleton shares his experience competing against reigning three-time all-around champion Lewis Field. His love for racehorse business, pioneering the PRCA patch program, and being much more than an actual cowboy. Rodeo, I think, was probably one of the last sports to change the direction that they were going with their contestants or with their athletes. But look at baseball as well. You know, look at baseball back in the 80s. Like, how many guys worked out. I mean, it was like Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire were the first two like, wow, look at these guys. NFL, you've got guys that were always lifting, always just a whole other level above everybody else. But baseball, I think, is probably more along the same lines of, you know, when you see somebody out there like chewing tobacco when they're playing, the only other thing you really see that in is rodeo, you know, but now you see both of those dynamics changing to where it's a lot more serious and it's a lot more at stake than just, yeah, let's go out there and, you know, throw some stuff around. And I think that goes into kind of what I believe it was Sage Kimsey that talked about it. Those that are training every day, they're developing their body because they're not on the same stock that they used to be. Like not only have our cowboys changed and got better, but we have to look at the buck and stock of horses and bulls like they now go into therapy systems they now use the pmf on a bull to keep them loose you know those bulls are getting better treatments better rehabs better development the same as our cowboys like the bulls get stronger the cowboys have to be stronger like that's just kind of the reality of i think evolution that's happening right now you know what's been interesting for me too are is the mental game that these kids bring to it because you look at the bulls in the bronx just like you're saying brylin they don't have a personal life you know i mean they're more hypersensitive to their immediate surroundings but they're not thinking about a conversation they had you know two hours ago or two days ago um, versus the human beings unless you are completely dedicated and focused when we were talking with casey you know how much preparate mental preparation of this is the warm-up i'm gonna do this is the walk i'm gonna take this is mentally where i'm gonna do so you're you're cutting all of the excess and focusing just on that and that's where i i think you have to be because it is you know the 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 deck is stacked in the animal's favor on those two on three events so yeah you look at the bulls and the horses and the cowboys if you're not a hundred percent committed don't even show up and i think this applies in rodeo one million percent is that if you're core right if you you got tires hanging down over your belts and whatnot don't plan on like making that 10 day run of nfr and thinking that you're going to get to seven day sevens or six seven eight and figure it out and then close it out 
Dude, if your body's not ready for that, like, forget about gold buckles, forget about any of that stuff. And I don't, I mean, if you look at a lot of the pictures, I think if you just look at the past champions, let's just say the past 10 years, they all look like they're in pretty good shape. Pretty athletic. Yeah. Yeah. Even on, um, you know, like the smaller rodeos, when you see the guys that are starting out and, you know, I want to be a bareback rider or I want to be a bull rider. And like you were saying, Envy, they kind of got that pudge hanging out <laughs> underneath their, their vest. It's like, all right, hey, uh, EMT, stand by because we're just <laughs> going to see what happens here because this kid's dead. <laughs> but that's how committed you are. If you're not committed enough to be in shape, don't don't expect the glory without the grit. Rodeo isn't a sport that you just get to do half-assed. Like, I hate to say that out loud, but like, you really don't get to do it half-assed because at any moment, whether you're roping calves, whether you're on a rough stock animal, like things can go wrong just as fast as they can go right. And that is the reality of working with livestock. Like at any point, it really can go that wrong or it can go that right. But you have to be prepared for that situation. And remember, this isn't just because you love rodeo, right? Because you're trying to make money. And when you think about all those patches that are on the vests, the shirts, the, the logos that stand out, right? There's a reason for that. And there's a reason for taking care of your body. Like that sponsorship side, the healthy side of what you do is really starting to converge, I think, in rodeo. And you're seeing a lot more of it now. They're impacting sponsors. They're impacting the health of the Western lifestyle ranching rodeo and everything else it's a pretty interesting domino effect well and i think even outside of the arena if you think about ranching you're no longer in an arena that's 100 by 200 you are typically out in a pasture where if something goes wrong if you get bucked off or you know those things that happen it's it's wrong real bad real quick and now you have a situation where your horse could have left you in the middle of the desert and you're 30 miles out like it's the reality of the western industry and yeah it happens in the arena but the reason we think about those things is because if you think about outside of the arena there are no longer panels to hold you in that area to go catch that horse to get you unhung up whatever that situation is somebody right there to save your ass right you could almost relate that to this whole last 12 to 13 months of everybody's life is whatever safety net or whatever protector protection area that you thought you had it's like before we were all in the arena and now we're just out there you know what i mean and you gotta it's kind of fend for yourself it's it's train harder it's do more it's look for other opportunities somewhere else that you might not have seen so and kind of look for those sinkholes you know yep and that it feels like that's what just we're in now we're not in the arena the safe confines of the arena anymore we're all out and everybody you know let's kind of work together and help out where we can but don't get lazy because there's freaking wolves out there too ain't that the truth goder enjoy our conversation with world champion and pro rodeo hall of famer dave appleton and up next rylan's bull This is Brylan's Bull, the Rodeo News of the Week. Great news, rodeo fans. Virgin Hotels Las Vegas will open with no parking or resort fees. The resort on the former site of the Hard Rock will open March 25th with complimentary self-parking and no charge for Wi-Fi. In honor of Black History Month, Leon Coffey, San Antonio's well-known rodeo clown, was recognized by the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame and Museum of the American Cowboy. The 2021 ACM Awards nomination includes Marin Morris, 
Chris Stapleton with six nods each. Stapleton and the Bones, hitmaker Marin Morris, lead nomination for the 56th Annual Academy of Country Music Awards set for April 18th in Nashville. We are on the road to NFR with more major rodeos on the horizon. Here are your current PRCA world standings. Bareback riding, Richmond champion. Jacob Elder, steer wrestling. Team roping is led by header Dustin Esquiza and healer Travis Graves. Saddle Brock riding, Cody DeMoss, Caleb Schmidt, tie down roping. Barrel racing is led by Stephanie Fryer. Bull riding leader, Josh Frost. And Marcus Theriot holds on to the all around. The Wrangler National Finals Rodeo takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada, December 2nd through the 11th. And remember, there is only one NFR, there is only one Vegas. Every December, the eyes of the rodeo world are on the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, the world's richest and most prestigious rodeo. And now you can follow the NFR all year long at NFRExperience.com. You'll find information on Cowboy Christmas and the Junior World Finals, unique blogs and content, access to NFR Extra, and much more. With the Stay in the Loop Club, you'll also have a chance to win a trip for two to Las Vegas 2021 for the world's greatest rodeo. Don't get left in the dust. Stay in the loop, stay in the know, and win at NFRExperience.com. Hey guys, I'm Nate Justice, four-time NFR bullfighter from Douglas, Wyoming, and I'm joining you on NFR Extra. In 1989, Dave Appleton, known as the Lone Roo, won the all-around gold buckle, becoming the first Australian cowboy to win a PRCA World Championship. His experience in the rodeo and western worlds, coupled with an easy-to-like personality and natural personal skills, has come in handy since his transition from days as a competitor. From broadcaster to a western retailer, the Texas Cowboy Hall of Fame inductee has lived the American dream. Dave Appleton, welcome to NFR Extra. Hey guys, what's going on? Dave, you know, I reading about you, I was really looking forward to talking to you because I think in that 80s era, there was a lot that went on that transformed where we're at today. And man, you wore some, well, I think a lot of you guys wore some outrageous shirts back then. But <laughs> that's when I had my Lemon Rue collection, the shirt one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's a whole nother story there too. <laughs> <laughs> that shirt line came about as a disagreement with Wrangler. So, really? Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's not, and, and, and yeah, it's a, uh, it was, that was one of those things that uh, after I had won the all around and I had done, done posters everywhere for Wrangler and my, you know, uh, stand up cutouts and everything. And, and the whole time I kept telling them, you know, let's, uh, let's do, you know, let's, let's do an, let's do an endorsement deal. No, no, we don't do endorsement deals until we do world champions. So I went there all around. So I said, all right, now let's do this endorsement deal. And they had a guy, they had a guy that was brand new into the, into the rodeo side. The guy that had been over rodeo had left and gone into uh, NASCAR. And uh, anyway, the new guy came in and, and basically based, uh, sat down and, and I really wanted to do a long-term agreement. I mean, I was proud of the company, proud to represent the company. And what came forth was, was sort of an embarrassment. Um, and, and I just said, you know, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not going to sign this. I'm not going to do this. And, you know, he, the gentleman that was representing them at the time was like, he said, well, you're a cowboy. And I said, no. 
I said, I'm far more than a cowboy. And I said, this is an embarrassment. And I said, I, I think we can go do something different. And another clothing line, another company approached me um, in the in Carmen Western wear. And, and basically, you know, we started the Lone Root Clothing Collection. And uh, we had a great run. Uh, we were in the, doing it. I licensed my logo. I did a licensed logo agreement. And that sort of, in a way, it, it also opened up other doors. Uh, for other guys to look at ways to do things differently too so so you know it, it's a it was a, a strange thing but uh yeah so that's how the lone root clothing collection came around we uh we trademarked my logo and and away we went and, and nowadays you see even the likes of uh trevor uh brazil you know he's got his relentless brand and there's, there's been several others come along that uh you know there's a lot of different ways to make it work you got to sometimes think out of the box that's cool. You were at a time that the stock world was the all-around champion. That's when you were King Kong. Yeah, no, it was. You know, it's funny how it sort of goes in in, in spurts and an evolution. And I think, really, when you look back at it, and, and and really, honestly, it's it's great to see Stetson. You know, now sort of being in there and. You know, back then, like Louis Field was a two-event cowboy, uh, you know, and, and actually really a three-event cowboy, uh, rode saddle bronx bareback horses and, and was an awesome team roper. And then Ty, uh, you know, Murray was basically a three-event cowboy, bulls, bareback riding, saddle bronx, and myself, I rode bareback horses and saddle bronx. You know, so there was a, a kind of a period in there. And I, I think if you, you look at then to now, um, it's, most guys today uh, come up pretty much specializing. And I think when you look at it from a specializing standpoint, you probably actually see uh, when you go to what gives, I think, the time to vent in maybe a little bit more of a nod or an easier nod to go into the uh, roping side of things. Most guys that calf rope are, can, can also team rope pretty good. So, you know, if you're pretty good with a rope, you can kind of do quite a few things. And, you know, you look back at, you know, and, and not only team rope, but you also have steer rope. And so, you know, those events can sort of, they all sort of have something parallel. Um, whereas when you look at the disciplines of the rust stock event, you know, bareback riding, bronc riding, two total different disciplines. The only thing really common uh, is a horse and eight sec, okay, and, and your rules, you know, uh, but the equipment's totally different. Your spurring motion, your, your everything you do is different. And then bull riding alone by itself, that's com a, another complete discipline. So that, I think, makes it a little bit different. So uh, it's good to see, and, and, and maybe um, it would be really good to, to probably look and see where the long term of it is, is go back to your youth rodeos and your junior rodeos now and see if there are many kids that want to work that many events because you know it's it's uh, my encouragement would be for them to try everything that they that they want to do and then let's see where it sort of goes you know and you know you can go back even further you know before mayhem and all that one of the great all rounds was phil line i mean phil line rode bulls bareback horses and roped and uh you know steer roped uh to me, I mean, I think Phil's one of the, the ultimate cowboys there ever was. And honored to call him a good friend. This is NFR Extra, and our guest today, Pro Rodeo Hall of Famer, Dave Appleton. Let's pause for a quick break. In Las Vegas, December can only mean one thing. 
The Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. The NFR is the culmination for the top contestants in the world seeking to share the $10 million purse and the coveted gold buckle. For fans, Las Vegas transforms into the greatest Western party in the world with the NFR experience, which features Cowboy Christmas, the Junior World Finals, nonstop entertainment, custom viewing parties, and so much more. Follow all the action at nfrexperience.com. Great moments, great champions, great memories. There's only one NFR. There is only one Vegas. Hey, guys, I'm Shane Hanchy. Thank you for joining NFR Extra. NFR Extra with guest Dave Appleton. You were a jockey first, then came to rodeo. What was that all about? How did that work? And could you actually highlight like what a jockey does and why you were unable to continue being a jockey? <laughs> it's called size. <laughs> I, I grew up in a little town in called Clermont in the central highlands of Queensland. And um, I honestly couldn't tell you what drew me to racehorses, but uh, it was just a, a, a passion from a kid. And um, just totally, totally uh, loved them. Grew in, uh, had pictures of racehorses on the wall uh, as a kid growing up. And when I was going to school, um, I'd get up in the morning, I'd go out. There was a, a local uh, guy that had some racehorses and I'd go gallop those horses. And at the time I was tiny. Uh, I was I was pretty short for my size. Actually, my one of my early nicknames was Stumpy. So um, that should tell you how tiny I was. And uh, I just uh, I galloped those racehorses as a kid. And then uh, where I grew up, we only went as far as the tenth grade. And I played all sports: uh, football, rugby. Played rugby league. I uh, played golf. Uh, was into everything. And then I actually had a chance when I was fifteen to go live with an aunt in Brisbane. Uh, which was like 760 miles away, and uh, to go get a, a, a what we call a se- senior education. I went down there and, and was going to live with her, and there was a school just up the road, and I was pretty pretty good at playing golf and uh, had played in the Queensland uh, uh, Junior Championships and stuff, uh, played with the likes of Ian Baker Finch and Peter Sr. And, and some of those guys who would later go on to become friends after I met them over here in the U.S., especially Ian Baker Finch. But anyway, the first thing I did when I got to Brisbane was uh, go to the racetrack and uh, found a guy that I that sort of knew. A, uh, I had a cousin uh, that had actually uh, been a jockey as well. And I found the guy that he had been with and talked to him. And the guy offered me a job. And I called mom up and the next day and I uh, uh, said, uh, guess what? I got an offer to be, a, uh, be an apprentice jockey. And she said, well, what happened to school? And I said, well, mom, this is this pretty good deal. Let me try it. And she I think reluctantly went along with it and uh, away I went. And unfortunately I went from weighing 96 pounds and being five foot two to in a matter of about four and a half months, went through a drawing spurt. And uh, I was one of the few people I honestly laid in bed at night crying saying, God, why are you making me grow? And I even, even to, to deny it, I was, I went and bought a pair of size seven shoes because the guy, the trainer I was uh, working for said, now, if your feet are bigger than a size seven, you can't be a jockey. <laughs> so I had my feet crammed into it, but I grew too big and I could see pretty quick that, that uh, unfortunately that wasn't going to work. And I, I actually came home because I'd missed uh, too much school to go to school to the uh, 11th and 12th grade 
came home and went to work on a cattle station and actually rode a couple of races at what they call a picnic uh, race meet where they have races on Friday and Saturday and a rodeo on Sunday and rode in a couple of races at the, uh, uh, the picnic race meet and then uh, rode in the uh, rodeo on Sunday and actually won some money at the rodeo on Sunday. So I guess one career stopped and another started. Australia seems to have a big existence of the jockey and race horse world. Am I just assuming that because I've heard a few stories about it? Or could you explain maybe the existence of horse racing in the in Australia? Well, horse racing uh, is just been one of the big sports of Australia. It's I mean, you know, the, the Melbourne Cup is the uh, you know, everyone in the United States knows about the Kentucky Derby. Yes. Uh, the Melbourne Cup in Australia is the first Tuesday in November, and they call it the race that stops a nation. And literally everybody old 22 million people no matter where you are what you're doing stop to nowadays watch the melbourne cup and there's a whole show around it and i mean even in the in the in the far out reaching areas of the outback on cattle stations and everything everybody comes together just to sort of see who's going to win the cup and even out there they'll they'll several of the stations will get together and they'll have a melbourne cup outing and everyone draws a horse and all this kind of stuff so you know the racing industry is huge in australia um and so you know jockeys are, are you know a celebrities um and, and that kind of thing and i guess for me being a kid you know there was kind of a uh, i guess i'm in a way, a little bit of a romantic, there was a romance or a charm about, you know, the, you know, you, you idolize guys that played golf, you know, the Greg Normans of the world. And for me, I idolized the jockeys and that sort of, you know, I fit the bill at the time when I was 15. Um, so, you know, that's sort of the sport, but, uh, nowadays, you know, you have stallions that shuttle, uh, back and forth between the, uh, U S because it's on the Southern, Southern side of the equator. So you have a different season. So the stallions will stand here in, in uh, basically uh, from late January through the end of uh, May. And then basically I'll give them a break and then they'll shuttle them down to Australia and they uh, uh, breed in the, in the, in the uh, you know, at a, at a different season down there. So it's, it's a global industry nowadays. You are listening to NFR Extra with our guest, Dave Appleton. We will return after the break. fans i hope this finds all of you well it's brad garrett the comedian from the basement at the mgm grand remember me of course you don't listen i know this has been a difficult year for all of us but just rest assured that everybody here at the mgm grand in las vegas cannot wait to welcome you back all of our nfr pals in 2021 so uh i can't wait to look out into that audience and uh see all those cowboy hats i'll be hiding behind the rock waiting for the locomotive so stay well and see you soon i'm casey field five-time world champion bareback rider and i am on nfr extra world champ dave appleton is here on nfr extra so clearly too big to jockey you know, you're a mainstay in the 80s and definitely at the NFR. In the middle of all that, we're going from Oklahoma to Vegas. And 
What gets overshadowed on your great year was Mr. Sharp riding 10 bulls straight at the NFR, which was had not been done. But at the same time, right. huge battle yeah. between you and Louie all the way down, literally down to the last second, last day of the NFR in 1988. Can you walk us through that whole crazy experience? Well, you know, it, it's just to go through that sort of NFR, it was, it was one of those things, um, you know, go in there. And of course, you know, at Jim Sharp was, you know, truly one of the greatest bull riders ever. Um, and he rode anything and made everything look easy. And, and, and there was such, such great history going on there. I went into that NFR, uh, with only, uh, one horse. Uh, I was only in one event which was the uh, Bavrak ride. And I just missed the uh, qualifying in the saddle bronc ride. And basically it was one of those scenarios that, that basically, uh, you know, I had a shot to win the Bavrak ride and a very, very slim shot to win the all around because Louie had won the last four or five, I think. And, uh, you know, he's there in two events. He's there in the bareback ride and he's there in the bronc ride. And I'm there and in, in only in the bareback riding. And as the week went on, it start, I started out, I, I had uh, started out, I, was, I drew well. I was uh, winning and placing in rounds and, and just chipping away, chipping away. But I was up against Marvin Garrett. And Marvin Garrett, uh, he, as much as I was having a good finals, he was having a phenomenal finals. And it was one of those things, by the time we got to – it was, I think, the fifth, uh, the fifth or sixth round. Marvin had come in in the lead, and I was right there behind him. I, uh, it, basically, he won the round and pretty much locked the door. He had won the title, and I, I remember, I remember my wife and I, we were staying at the Sands Hotel and Casino, uh, which is obviously long gone. And uh, anyway, the funniest thing is, is we. Uh, we were having lunch and uh, it was the day after Marvin had won and, and she's sitting there and went, wow, you know, and I said, well, I looked at her and I said, well, we can still win the all round. And I never forget. She looked at me and laughed and she said, yeah, like you're going to win. You're going to beat Louie in one event while you're in, he's in two. And I said, well, you never know. And we just sort of laughed at about, about it like that. And went into it, you know, and of course, like you said, the focus was on Jim and, you know, Jim had kept every time Jim rode a bull, there was just that much more excitement, that much more excitement the whole way through, you know, and that's all leading up to it. And, uh, you know, as we poked on through the rest of the week, I kept kept doing well. And then uh, uh, I won the uh, ninth round and uh, everything. And it came down to that last day and I was in the lead in the average in the bareback riding. Louie, Louie had missed a horse out, I think, in the, uh, in the bareback riding, uh, that took him out of that average. But anyway, it came down to the last day and, uh, you know, of course, you know, Jim had his bull drawn and all that good stuff. But when it came down to the last day, the way it had sort of all come about, um, you know, it was up to, for me to have a shot, I had to pretty much you know, do well in the final round and, and win the average. And I can't even remember how much the average paid back then, but it's not like it pays nowadays. Obviously it's 30 years ago, but, uh, uh, plus years ago, but anyway, uh, actually 40 years now, it's not a thing of 88. So, 
Um, but uh, anyway, Jan, uh, I someone said to me, what do you want to draw? And I said, well, you know, if it comes down to it, I, I, the best horse in the pen to me was Kingsway, which was the Buckton horse of the year. And I said, man, that's the horse I want. That's the horse I have to have. And I don't know if fate or God had a hand in it. I'm probably sure he did. And uh, I drew him. And it was, uh, I'll never forget. It was, I said, perfect. This, everything to me at that moment was completely within my hands. And it wasn't a case of, I knew he was going to buck. And I knew he was a rank horse. I forget what Louie had uh, at the time and everything else. And I really wasn't worried about what Louie had, to be honest with you. But it was all about what I could do. And I, and that's the thing about rodeo. You know, you, you, you travel with guys that you have to compete with. But, you you know, the competition's not between you and the other guy. The score is only matched up against each other. You have to compete with the animal. And that's what's unique about rodeo uh, is, is you can be traveling buddies in one minute and competitors in the other. But yet you help each other to try to beat each other. And, um, so I actually went back and, and, uh, it was funny. I lay in bed that whole night. I didn't sleep a lot, but I rode that horse a million times over in my mind. And when I went to the arena that next afternoon, cause the final, the final perf was on a Sunday back then it was an afternoon perf. I was very, very calm. I was completely at ease. Um, uh, I was not nervous. Uh, I just felt like that everything was right there in front of me. And um, I got on him, and and it was funny. I remember pulling my rigging, and he was kind of a wild. He was a cool horse. Uh, Vern Franklin owned him, and he came, he was grew up in the wilds of northern Canada. And I mean, when I talk about it, you talk about a caged tiger. The only thing that kept him any uh, from going in sixty directions was the fact that his skin didn't stretch in that many directions. And I, I remember having my rigging pulled and my hand in the rigging. And I remember putting my hand down on his neck and I said to him, I said, I need you to be as good as you can be today because we need this. And uh, slid up there and nodded my head and he went to town and I went to town and he damn near bucked me off. But uh, long story short, I rode him. I won the round. Um, when the dust cleared, I'd won the round. I'd won the average. Um, then uh, Louie did not place in the round. But Louie uh, was up in the bronc riding, and he had a horse called Bad River drawn. And, the, of course, they're always doing the quick math at the time. And basically, it was one of those things. It, uh, they had told me that if Louie went one third in the round, he would win the all-round. If he won fourth in the round, I would win the all-round. So Bud Monroe was my traveling partner. Uh, Bud Monroe, basically, uh, I was standing there helping Bud. And uh, Bud rode. In fact, Bud was placing in the round. And then, as strange as fate would have it, uh, Louie uh, had Bad River. He was on the same delivery. Whoever was supposed to help him uh, wasn't there. And he looked at me and said, hey, would you help me? And I said, sure. And, you know, it's the funniest thing is, is I'm standing there helping Louie and he's climbing on this horse and he was a very, very good horse and I knew he could do anything. And of all the funniest things that I ever thought of, and I'll never forget this, I was sitting there when I was pushing that horse's head out. I was thinking to myself, oh, please, God, let this horse turn out good. Uh, I'd hate to have 
some foul up at the thing that there I am, he and I are competing for a cold buckle and I'm pushing his horse's head out and I'd hate to have the horse turn out bad. And uh, he did. And Louis made a great ride. And uh, it was one of those things is when he got off, they announced the score. And of all things, he was splitting third and fourth. Well, I'd calculated third. I'd calculated fourth. I hadn't calculated third and fourth as a split. So it split the money up. So it only made it that much tighter. And even back then, the judges had the ability to uh, adjust uh, before they turned them in. So, you know, it wasn't as, as technologically advanced as anything then. So basically, uh, you know, you could, somebody could have sort of adjusted the score a half point or anything that would have changed it all up. We didn't know. So strangely as it was, uh, he and I ended up back in the uh, contestants' locker room uh, sitting there. And back in those days, uh, you know, we, I, I, actually there was a, uh, a beer back there or something. And I went and grabbed a beer for me and him. And we're sitting there. And I handed him a beer. And I said, well, it's out of our hands now. And I said, you know, it has been a hell of a hell of a uh, competition and, and a hell of a deal. And, and I, Louis was one of the greatest all-around cowboys there was, a true competitor and just a guy that made you ride better than you could ever do. And I said, you know, now it's up to what the scores come out. And uh, we sat there for quite a while, and uh, someone came in from the media department and said, well, it's unofficial, but it sounds like Dave won. And he said, but we're, we're double-checking. And I said, well, I think out of uh, respect to both of us, I said, don't come back in here until one of us knows for sure, because I think this is pretty special for both of us. And uh, they disappeared, then they came back, and then they said that I'd won by 700 bucks. So, you know, so that was a pretty surreal moment, um, you know, unique in a sense. I think really when you stop and you think back about it, it the thing is, is it's like I touched earlier, you're competitive one minute, but you help each other. Uh, the competition really isn't between you and the other guy. It's between you and the animal. And, uh, you know, I was happy to step forward and help Louis Field, even though I knew he was a guy that could beat me from a dream. Um, and that's just what you do in the rodeo business. Well, if you're going to beat Louie, it's, yeah, it's going to have to be that tight, that close. And man, damn, that's awesome. And, and honestly, you know, to say I beat Louie, <laughs> let me put it this way. When the dust settled, I was in front. <laughs> How about that? I didn't beat Louie. <laughs> this is our final break. We'll finish our conversation with Dave Appleton when we return. NFR Extra follows cowboys, talks to legends and country stars, and finds the stories that make up the season that leads to the annual showdown in December. Follow me, Nevada Caldwell, Brylan Bentley, and Steve Goder as we delve deep into the stories in and behind the road to gold. Listen to NFR Extra on Rural Radio, channel 147 on Sirius XM, every Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern, with our re-air Tuesday in the same time slot. NFR Extra, all dirt, all rodeo, all year. This is Emily Miller Beisel, and uh, we are on NFR Extra. Dave Appleton is here on NFR Extra. When we talk about sponsors on this podcast, we tend to explain those things of those companies that support the Cowboys. Often, our Cowboys will have patches on their shirts, and those are their sponsors. But 
where did you come up with this idea for the patch program? Well, I really didn't come up with the uh, like an idea. If you looked at if you looked at all other professional sports, um, you know, I was lucky enough. I don't know. I was I, I made a lot of friends in a lot of other professional arenas, and and golf was one of them. And as I touched on with the Ian Baker Finch thing, and and you know, when I was rodeoing, I got to be good friends with Fred Couples. Um, Fred Couples. Um, uh, would, we played some golf together and, and uh, at the time the San Francisco Cow Palace was going on and uh, uh, the uh, Tour Championship was always in San Francisco and it, from that basically it became one of those scenarios that the, the, a lot of the, the golfers Payne Stewart, Davis Love, Steve Elkington, uh, Freddie they'd all come to the rodeo and hang out and there's a whole other story there but from seeing what those guys were doing with the patch programs and, you know, they were had their, their sport, basically you had logos on players, the players made a lot of money off of that. And, and when I sit and looked at what we were doing in rodeo, it was one of those things, wait a minute, you know, our, we, we have the ability to do something similar to that. So I started trying to basically, you know, get the association to give us the opportunity that our physical entity or body, uh, you know, we could sell that space. And it was an interesting time because a lot of people pushed back against it. The Corodio committees, you know, they sort of, well, that's our territory. You know, we control the arena. The association had certain sponsors, yada, yada, yada. But we finally kind of got it to where they finally kind of came around with the program. And, um, you know, it was needed. And, and, and it was it was a must because, you know, it, it takes so much money to go up and down the road and to to, you know, the old and there were some people that pushed back about, well, cowboys don't need to have patches on them. You know, where we're cowboys, you know, and I well, no, we're, we're there's a difference. You're a rodeo cowboy and a rodeo cowboy is different than a cowboy. And 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 basically, you know, you you're you're a professional athlete and, and you should have the ability to to do endorsements not just outside of the arena but to really make the package properly and proper for what uh, an endorsee can do is is to wear those logos and brands in the arena and uh you know and you can monetize it because you know you can make a good career of that not only while you're competing but you can also become a spokesman for that company when uh post-career so that's how it all came about fortunately the association eventually came around to it and uh you know, I was one of the pioneers of it, and American Airlines was my first sponsor. And I, you know, so are you bringing in you're bringing in new companies into a sport uh, and exposing them. And I think when you look at where it is today, um, tre- there's a tremendous amount of companies that have come in through patch programs that eventually grown to be bigger players in the in the sport itself. Absolutely, it's definitely allowed for a lot of growth on both sides, companies and competitors. Before I let you go because this has been so awesome and so detailed. I love it. What is advice you would give to your younger self? You know, you can sit there and say, uh, don't make the mistakes you made, do things differently and everything else. But honestly, you know, I could sit there and say, I wish I'd have done this. I wish I'd have done that. But uh, I just tell my younger self to probably do the same thing. And, And any younger self out there, I would say to anyone, you know, if you have a dream, chase it. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm the perfect example of dreams can come true. 
because I came from a, a foreign country um, with just sort of a long-term wild dream. And I came to the greatest country in the world, which is the United States of America. Nothing wrong with Australia. I think Australia is a great country. But this is truly the greatest country in the world because if you have a dream and if you have a goal, there is no shortage of people that will line up to help you to achieve that dream. And that's the greatest thing about what this country is and what rodeo is in this country. And to my younger self, I would just say, heck, heck get here sooner and chase it harder. That's cool. Well, hey, thank you for coming on. This was, man, this was great. Uh, catching up with you, talking stories. Mr. Appleton, thank you for coming on NFR Extra. Yes, thank you. And I, by the way, I got to do have to give a good quick shout out to the two Aussies, you know, Jamie Howitt and, and uh, uh, Kai Hamilton. And Kai, I think he's got an excellent shot to uh, sneak in and get him a gold buckle. Yeah, I agree with you. He does. He's looking good. All right. Cheers, everybody. We want to thank Dave Appleton for visiting us on NFR Extra. Want to experience more of NFR? Then visit nfrexperience.com. And we invite you to subscribe to NFR Extra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like what you've heard on NFR Extra, we would love it if you gave us a big five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. NFR Extra. All dirt. All rodeo. All year. And the bulls and the browns And the ladies in the skin-tight ring